Good morning, folks. I'm Vivek, and welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast channel, A Journey to Net Zero. A Journey to Net Zero is an attempt to reach out to the eminent personalities from the Indian urban ecosystem, whose decisions are shaping the India of tomorrow, and capturing their views and insights on what matters and should matter in our journey towards a net zero India. On this note, allow me to welcome our guest for the day, Dr. Rupesh S. Iyengar, Director, Services Consultants. Dr. Iyengar is a high-performance building designer who believes in the philosophy of an integrated and sustainable approach to the design of the built environment. His company, Services Consultants, was instrumental in making Radisson Blue Atria Bangalore one of the five shortlists of the Acrex Hall of Fame 2019. A very good morning, Rupesh, and it is my pleasure to have you with us this morning. Good morning, Vivek. Uh, it's my pleasure to be on this podcast and. Uh, also giving this to Dan Force. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Rupesh, let's start with what challenges does India face with the development of existing mega cities and the population density being on the rise? Well, not to forget, we are also looking at an India that will be home to 41 mega cities by 2030. What challenges do you foresee when these cities come up? While I endorse uh, uh, development, uh, as well as uh, growing of cities, uh, uplifting of uh, living standards of people, we have to take care that the planning and uh, how this development shapes up is recognized in a planned way. You can see from the statistics, there have been several mentions of it, even in the United Nations proceedings that comes out at every summit that most of the mega cities in the world is going to be centered in Asia and many of them would be in India. So it's very imperative that we put together a futuristic vision as to how we are going to grow. We have huge issues that are associated with these developments of cities. It could be in terms of the need for usage of water, the need for electricity, the need for energy, the need for disposal of waste. So all of these are connected to growth. For example, the pollution in Delhi, it's, it's on the rise. The overcrowding in Mumbai or the garbage issues in Bangalore or the flooding problem in Chennai. We see this happen every year. And I don't see any planning which is associated with uh, trying to mitigate these issues that keep coming to us every year. One thing which can be done, of course, is by addressing the core issue of the problem as to why are people moving to such cities. The reasons could be higher pay, higher probably standard of living. It could also be amenities and facilities that one may not get in tier two, tier three cities or even at the village or taluka level. So all those people who are migrating in search of jobs, in search of higher pay, can get those jobs and those facilities in their homeland. So I think this is the crux. We need to plan this in the next five or ten years and make sure connectivity is improved. I think a lot of it is happening. But I think more needs to be done in getting industries to spread across the country. To go back to what you just said, the future mega cities of the world are going to be from Asia and a lot of them going to be from India. 
as of now, 21 out of 30 most polluted cities in the world are in India right now. So are we saying that we have missed the stop? Have we kind of moved way too forward in the urbanization race that we may not be able to make a course correction here? I don't think so, because it is never late to start doing things right. We may take more time, but I don't think it's ever late. We don't have a river in Bangalore, but the stormwater drains of Bangalore, which were planned probably 30 or 40 or 50 years ago, we are trying to make that a promenade now. So right now, those stormwater drains are basically sewage channels. We need to segregate waste, segregate slush, black water, grey water and usable water. Another project is probably Clean Ganga project. I think there's a lot of emphasis there. There's a lot of cleanup which is being done on the river Ganga, which was almost non-existent if you see uh, five or ten years ago. I think we are doing a few things, but I think the magnitude of that change is very, very small. Also, education is important for the people because all of this cannot be done by one entity. We put it to the government do everything. That would absolutely not work because each citizen plays his own part. We also need to bring stricter rules and implementation of those rules. So all stakeholders, right from the citizen to the government, uh, to the implementing agency, to the judiciary, need to be accountable in trying to get this overall vision done. Speaking of urbanization, I guess the conversation would be incomplete if we were to not speak of the rising challenge and that is of that of an energy demand. And do you believe buildings have been one of the major contributors for that? And if so, what evolutions have happened on the building front as well towards arresting it or either reducing it? Absolutely. Buildings are, I would say, the silent consumers of energy and also emitters of pollution. If you look at the energy map of any developing country like India, it could be industrial or any kind of building and infrastructure related project or a facility would almost consume up to 60 to 80% of all the energy needs of that country. Now, air conditioning systems almost consume 50 to 60% of that energy footprint of any building. And if you see the way we are heading into the future, most of our buildings are going to be air conditioned. You need an air conditioning today. It is no more a luxury. So with that in place, we need to concentrate on how we can reduce that footprint of energy on a building itself. So net zero is probably the highest level one could achieve in terms of energy consumption or it could also be a net positive. Investment into renewable energy should also increase because just going electric would also mean there is an impact on how this energy is generated. Most of India's energy requirement today still comes from coal-fired power plants. Coal is again a non-sustainable, a non-renewable source of energy generation. We have a lot of dams and a lot of hydropower that has been uh, generated in this country. We need to go more on solar. We need to implement more of wind farms. So we need to invest more on technologies which are renewable and also increase the efficiency of these products. 
in continuation to what you just said, if you could tell us what, according to you, are the major challenges that buildings today face when it comes to reducing the carbon footprint? So how important the carbon footprint is for the building segment is what would be the source of energy demand that the building is using. There are a lot of projects which are net zero energy, but they would get their energy by buying power from elsewhere. But if you have a building who could generate on-site power, then you could really reduce your carbon footprint as far as that building is concerned. And you or, or the facility as such could act as a self-sustaining building or a mini power plant. So carbon footprint should be associated to the energy demand. So the source of power, the way that power is generated is also as important as the consumption on the building segment itself. Have the mandatory ratings and certifications that we have today made an impact on buildings that are taking that extra step towards reducing their energy demand? When it comes to energy certifications, I think it's good that we have certifications for buildings right now in the country. It has set up a league where people want to be a part of it so that they can actually showcase their buildings which are energy efficient and a lot of work is being done to consciously reduce energy demand. But I think we need to now go a step forward. We need to look at not only giving certificates to buildings at the design level, which is right now the norm, but we need to look at the building on a continuous operational level. The government of India has launched ECBC, which is the Energy Conservation of Building Code. Some states have made it mandatory, some have made it voluntarily. So I think there needs to be a bigger emphasis on all state governments to make the ECBC mandatory for commercial as well as residential buildings. Thanks to all the cities that are going to come up, the population which is growing, uh, the move to the urban centers of India. So we are definitely looking at a massive surge in its energy demand in the years to come. But despite that, we also have a vision to turn net zero by 2050. How, according to you, can India achieve its goals against these challenges? I think it is doable. 30 years is a good period of time to achieve a net zero energy India. I think it's a good vision, but that vision should be backed up by what is going to be done in a couple of years' time. We need to start doing that at a building level first, and then probably at a corporation level or a ward level, and then scale it up to the city level, and then scale it up to the taluka level, the district level, and then the state level. Then cumulatively, we can come together to achieve that net zero goal. One thing we should do is we need to collect data. Today, I don't see any platform or any organization or any society or any facility for that matter having data of their own building. We need to start first by collecting data because once we have the data, then that data can be analyzed and then we can uh, look at how the impact of usage of water and energy can be reduced. And this would be the first step to achieve that net zero energy. Because like you said, 
we are going to have cities which are going to grow energy consumption which is going to increase water consumption which is going to increase and unless we have real time data we are not able to look at how or what kind of impact this increase is going to have in our everyday usage rupesh danfoss we always believe that technology is the cornerstone towards making a sustainable world and as a consultant i'm sure you work very closely with a complete different range of technologies day in day out how have you seen technology evolve over the past decades to what extent do you see technology playing a role in helping our future cities turn greener i think technology is the driver for any development or any change that has to happen if you look at the air conditioning industry there was a time when we used to use window air conditioners it would have a cop of somewhere around 2 or 3 but then in the last 10 to 15 years technology has taken a leap and then the same window air conditioners have gone with a vrf system which is much more efficient and then we went on to the centralized air conditioning system and then it went on to become screw chillers and then now we have moved on to uh, magnetic chillers so magnetic chillers again at part load could give you a cop as high as 8 or even 10 today you have a compressor where magnetic uh, bearings and magnetic levitation technology has proven that you can also have a very efficient machine uh, without moving parts without the uh, oil mixing and the problems associated with that if you look at the facade systems itself we have gone from single glazing to now even triple glazing or even low e systems where my glass would act as a wall when it comes to heat input from the outside so there has been a good change on all fronts and technology has been the driver for all of these things to happen so definitely we have to invest in technology one thing could also be now with iot coming in the internet of things i could see everything control everything monitor everything right on my phone rupesh my question was when you as as a consultant when you work with a client of yours how do you help them translate their sustainability goals into a building design and then eventually a fully functioning building when my client wants to develop a building which is sustainable i think half of my problem is solved because my approach and my process is in sync with the client's goals he is investing on the project he is having the vision on the project that we need to achieve these benchmarks no matter what so what we try to do is first we do a feasibility study as to what is possible and what is not possible and how we can try to maximize the reuse of what is available or retaining of what is available in the topography second we would get into energy goals what should be our energy consumption what should be our water consumption we would have these benchmarks specified for the project at the design level itself 
we would then get into what kind of facade we need, what kind of a fenestration system we need, how much of glazing we need to put on the building. So that would be on the architectural side. Second, we would go on the energy itself. So one is the passive design. How can I make use of what is available? Can I use the energy from the ground? Can I go with the geothermal? Can I go with a solar facility? Then we would come to the active design itself. So how do we actually bring in our mechanical systems? How do we bring in our electrical system, the plumbing system, the reuse of water, the disposal of waste and garbage? How do we reduce our load? Usually what we see is when we reduce energy, there are a lot of collateral benefits that are available. So we need to do a total cost analysis, which looks at not only one side, but also what is the imperative cost reduction on the other side. An increase in technology would have an increase in cost. But because of that, if I can have a decrease in cost at some other segment of the building, then that is justifiable. And then, of course, there are mandatory requirements, statutory requirements. So once we establish all of this, other things could be innovations. Can we look at radiant cooling? Can we look at concepts which are like light shelves where I can increase my light to come in? I can have natural light to come in. Rupesh, you and your father, Mr. Satish Ayengar, have been the people behind getting uh, Radisson Blue Atria Bangalore towards being one of the shortlists of the Hall of Fame in 2019. Could you please share your experience being a part of the Hall of Fame journey? The Hall of Fame uh, by Dan Force, which is done at every Acrex, I think it's a good move to recognize buildings which are efficient and which are sustainable. Because recognition also forms a part of the encouragement that a client would receive or a designer would receive or a consultant would receive or an end user would receive. So I think the Hall of Fame has also evolved very nicely over the past editions. Uh, we were the finalists in uh, Radisson Blue Hotel in Bangalore. That hotel building was previously also designed by us and the client came back to us for a repeat of the project. And uh, we are happy that we could achieve uh, the goal. I would say that such hotels, I mean, all the finalist hotels which were there could act as inspirations for other similar buildings to bring down their energy consumption and to become environmentally conscious. It's been a pleasure to be associated uh, uh, with the process of uh, Acrex Hall of Fame by Danfoss and kudos to uh, whatever work is being done. Before we close, uh, what would be your three suggestions to the larger building fraternity to help them achieve their sustainability goals? My three suggestions would be, one, don't stop in designing uh, efficient buildings. We should always look at uh, bettering ourselves from project to project. So if we achieve a certain benchmark on one project, uh, we need to strive harder to achieve a better benchmark on our next project. Second is for the industry itself to come together in promoting sustainability and the buildings. Cost is one thing, I would say, but the larger picture of ROIs probably needs a little flexibility. 
because typically a sustainable building would take about 5 to 10% extra to make that building way better than what is being designed currently and the ROI probably could increase by one or two years. The third would be so that the statutory norms are not just adhered to but also bettered. Typically, we look at projects where we do things which are as per statutory norms. But what I would say is statutory norms is the minimum baseline that we need to achieve. The sky is the limit on achieving a better building, a more well-being building. So I think these are three suggestions uh, to the larger fraternity of buildings. Thank you so much, Rupesh, for such an insightful talk. It has been a pleasure to have you on the channel. Thank you, Vivek. It's uh, my pleasure to give this insight and interview. Great. Thank you so much. With this, we wrap up our yet another episode of our journey to net zero. But before we close, we are hosting our next edition of the Acrex Hall of Fame on the 18th of Feb 2022. And this time, we are inviting nominations from data centers, hospitals, and the pharmaceutical sector. We look forward to receiving your nominations and we hope you do make it to our Hall of Fame. On this note, thank you so much and until next time.